Yep. This is, this is the morning of fun times. And for some reason, Rick is concerned that somebody who can't get it together this morning is going to trip. So, moved it out of my way. What are we here for today? Well, we're here as we gather every Sunday. We're here to worship God, to proclaim his name, to, 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 to sing praises to him, to worship him in prayer and in song and in the study of his word. But specifically, this morning, we are here today to see two men be ordained to the office of deacon. And we're here today to recognize and install those who will continue to serve this congregation as deacons in the year ahead. And so, we have to ask ourselves, what is a deacon? The word deacon comes from the Greek word diakonos. And we will see here in a little bit, these these towels that have been made for our deacons has in Greek, diakonos on them. I am still not entirely sure how Robin got Greek into her computer, but she did it, and that is awesome. But the word diakonos means servant. So we are ordaining two men today to be servants. We are recognizing these other Individuals who have served this congregation as servants. As servants. That's the, that's the broad sense of the word diakonos. Servant. But in the church, and in Scripture, it, it has a narrow sense. And it's, it's an office. There are two biblical offices. In the church, one is deacon and the other is elder. These are the only two offices that we ordain to formal public ministry in the life of the congregation deacons and elders. The first deacons are called in Acts 6. That's the story of the call of the first deacons. You've You've heard me read that. I I read it recently when we did our deacon elections. The story of of the fact that these six men who were were called... Wait, no. Seven. I know Scripture. Sure I do. It's in Acts 6. It's seven people called in Acts 6. Anyway. They're called because what has happened? What's happened is, as the church has grown, you've ended up with Hebraic Jews... So these are the Jews that are speaking Hebrew, Aramaic, and you've ended up with Greek Jews. So these are Jews who are from the diaspora, but they don't speak Hebrew or Aramaic. They speak Greek. They're Hellenized. They're Greek in culture. And so what's happened is the church has grown. We've ended up with both groups in the church. And for whatever reason, and Acts 6 doesn't really get into what has happened, it's, it's probably a cultural thing, it's probably a language thing. The, the, the Greek widows, the Greek-speaking widows, have been left out. They've been left out of table fellowship. They are not getting their, their portion from the, from the community table. 
And so the people come to the apostles, come to the elders, and say to them, hey, look, this is what's going on, let's fix it. And the elders say, look, like, we can't wait on tables. Our call is to preach and to teach. Our call is, is not to, to do that. And so, and so they call these folks to be servants, to serve at the table. Now, it could, we could think, we could think here that the apostles are saying, well, I'm above that kind of work. But we need to remember who the apostles were. The apostles were those who had been with Jesus. That's, that's the rule to be an apostle. It really, it really sort of bothers me. Sometimes you see churches these days and it says, you know, and the pastor is led by, you know, Apostle Billy Bob Jones is our pastor. Well, unless Billy Bob Jones was alive 2,000 years ago and had a physical experience with the risen Lord, he's not an apostle. Because that's what an apostle is. The apostles were those who had experienced and seen the risen Christ. They were those who had been his disciples in life. Plus Paul, who has that very special experience that Paul has on the road to Damascus that makes him an apostle. So if they're the ones who have known Jesus, they were the ones who were in the upper room the night that Jesus washed their feet. So it's important for us to think that when the elders say, when the apostles say, you are going to be servants, they are only a few weeks removed from the events of John chapter 13. And that's where we are this morning. We are in John chapter 13, if you will join me there. If you don't have a copy of Scripture with you, I encourage you to grab one of those black, hard, pewback Bibles in front of you. And if you don't have a copy of Scripture to call your very own, I'd encourage you to take one of those with you this morning as our gift to you. We are in at, excuse me, John chapter 13. Will you stand with me as we read God's Word together? Before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now when it was time for supper, the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands, that he had come from God and was going back to God. So he got up from the supper laid aside his outer clothing, took up a towel, and tied it around himself. Next, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to dry them with the towel tied around him. He came to Simon Peter, who asked him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you don't realize now, but afterwards you will understand. You will never wash my feet, Peter said. Jesus replied, if I don't wash you, you will have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. One who has bathed, Jesus told him, doesn't need to wash anything except his feet, but he is completely clean. You are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. This is why he said, not all of you are clean. When Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer clothing, he reclined again and said to them, Do you know what I have done for you? 
You call me teacher and Lord, and you are speaking rightly, since that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also do just as I have done for you. Truly I tell you, a servant is not greater than his master, and a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. I am not speaking about all of you. I know those I have chosen, but the Scripture must be fulfilled. The one who eats my bread has raised his heel against me. I am telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am he. Truly I tell you, whoever receives anyone I send receives me, and the one who receives me receives him who sent me. This is the Word of God. Read it, believe it, and live it. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly God, as we continue your time of worship, as we continue to open your word and to study it, I pray that you would install in each of us a servant's heart. That you would install in each of us the the humility, the humbleness required for us to get on our hands and knees and serve one another. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing to you our God, and our King. Amen. You may be seated. So what does it mean? What does it mean that Jesus was a servant? What does it mean that Jesus took off his, his coat, his outer clothing, tied a towel around himself, and got down on his hands and knees? to wash the disciples' feet. See, this was, this was demeaning work. This was the work of a servant. This was the work of a slave. This wasn't something that, that you did for one another. This wasn't something that, that somebody of, of decent social standing did. And yet Jesus does that. He, he takes off his, his jacket and ties that that towel around himself. See, we know that the disciples have been jockeying for position. John doesn't have the story, but Matthew, Mark, and Luke have the story of the disciples coming to Jesus and being like, hey, hey, when you come into your kingdom, let me sit at your right hand. Let me be the one who has your ear. Let me be your number two. Let me be the executive officer. Let me have the power and the status and the position. And so here you have the Savior, God incarnate, coming to these men who had been so wrapped up in position, so wrapped up in wanting to be aggrandized, so wrapped up in what they could be getting out of following Jesus. And he takes off his cloak. And the incarnate God of the universe gets on his hands and knees and washes these ungrateful, ignorant ingrates He serves them. He cleanses them. Notice, too, it doesn't say that he washes 11 of their feet. 
and leaves out Judas Iscariot. Judas has been named already in the passage, right? That he is going to, that he is going to reject And he's going to betray Jesus, and yet he washes Judas' feet. Jesus knows that Peter, Peter is going to deny him three times. And Peter, God, I love Peter so much. Because I think Peter is so many of us. We have in our hearts this desire and this want to serve Jesus, and that somehow we always find a way to mess it up. And so here's Jesus, and he's on his hands and knees, and Peter's like, no, you're not going to wash my feet. And he goes, if I don't wash you, you won't be clean, and you won't be with me. And he goes, wash all of me. And Jesus says, okay, but guess what? You're still going to betray me. You're still going to deny me. And I'm still going to need to sit on a beach in a few days and ask you three times if you love me, once for each of the times that you deny me. There's a passage in Isaiah, <clears throat> many of us know, you've, you've heard it before. It's the passage that's often called the, the Song of the Suffering Servant. It's found in Isaiah, at the very end of Isaiah 52 and, and 53. And I'm not going to read all of that today, but I'm going to read, I'm going to read a little bit. <clears throat> Starting with Isaiah 53, verse 3. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering, who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised and we did not value him. Yet he bore our sickness and he carried our pains, but we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. He was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him and we are healed by his wounds. We are all went astray like sheep. We've all turned to our own way, and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, like a sheep silent before his shearers, he did not open his mouth. This is how Isaiah describes the servanthood of Jesus. Jesus is not just a servant. He's a, he's a suffering servant. Jesus takes on our sickness. Jesus carries our pain. Jesus was pierced because of our rebellion, because of our treason against a, a holy and righteous God. Jesus was crushed for our iniquities. Jesus took on the punishment so that we could experience peace with God. And we are healed and restored and made whole in God because of Jesus' wounds. And yet, all too often, like Peter, we are led astray like sheep. We go our own way thinking that we don't need Him, that we can be the big man, the one whose feet deserve to be washed, not the one to do the washing. And as we go astray, and as we turn from God, and as we enter into rebellion and into sin, Jesus takes on our punishment. The punishment for our sin, not for His. He was sinless. We are sinful. 
when Jesus is washing his disciples' feet, he says, a servant is not greater than the master. We are not greater than Jesus. I know that's, that's maybe hard sometimes for us to, to accept, right? Because I'm here, and I'm alive, and this is my life. But we are not greater than Jesus. And if Jesus, the incarnate Son of God, God in the flesh, gets down on his hands and knees and serves, we are not greater than to do that. If Jesus Christ, the incarnate Son of God, serves all of us by humbling himself to the point of death, even death on a cross, we are not greater than that. Our Master sacrificed for us. Our Master died for us. And so who am I that the Son, the second person of the Godhead, should die an excruciating death for me? Who are you that He should do this for you? Because brothers and sisters, we are nothing more than dirt that God has molded together and breathed life into. We are rebels and we are traitors to the high, holy King. And yet, He died for us. And yet, He serves us. Pierced for our transgressions. Sacrifice for our sins. And through Him, we receive His righteousness. So deacons, Chris and Lucas, who are being ordained, and all of you who have served and continue to serve as deacons, remember that you are a servant. And what servanthood looks like. I have a very interesting relationship with the seminary that I graduated from. No longer exists. Went defunct because of, I will tell you, poor leadership. Left a bitter taste in my mouth. Not my experience. My experience with the professors and the students was wonderful. There's one thing that I got When you started at school, they gave you a small little piece of terry cloth, a vestige, a reminder of, of what you were doing, that you were there to learn how to serve God's people. On the night before graduation, we had what we called the towel ceremony, where all of those who were graduates would come and receive their towel, their symbol of servanthood. We have this morning towels for our deacons. Symbols of your servanthood. I know we've never done this before. I know this is new. 
But deacons, it's time for us to take up our towels and to serve. Chris, Lucas, will you join me in the front?